You are listening to the Climbing Advocate Podcast. I am your host, Peter Horgan. On this podcast, I will be chatting with folks who care deeply about the climbing environment to discuss the advocacy work that's happening beyond the crag. My aim is to connect more climbers to the important work that these advocates are doing day in and day out. From the small local crags, the nation's iconic landscapes, and to the offices of our nation's capital, no crag is too big or too small to not have its interests represented. This show is brought to you in partnership with Access Fund. Since 1991, Access Fund has been keeping the crags, boulders, and alpine environments around the country conserved and cared for. Support Access Fund by visiting accessfund.org and by supporting your local climbing organization. Hey everybody, welcome to the latest installment of the Climbing Advocate Podcast, episode number 21 a conversation with Access Fund's National Conservation Team. And I got a two-parter here for you guys. I got the National Conservation Team coming for you today, this week, and next week I'll have the East Conservation Team coming out. I had a chance to speak with two out of the three conservation teams. Uh, they have the West team as well, which I unfortunately could not connect with, but we'll be hearing from Lauren and Kyle today from the National Conservation Team. And we just dove right into it. We totally just skipped the intro part, and we just dove right into our conversation with the current work that they're doing out in uh, Estes Park, Colorado. They got some really a really cool project going on right there, working on some adaptive use and accessibility to some climbing areas, and they have to really dive into some really nuancey things with this trail that they're building and this access that they're building to this crag. It's really cool, and I'll, I'll let them explain that some more, but I was really impressed with this extra effort that they're putting in to get this trail in place. And once we kind of wrapped up that intro about what they're working on right now, that's when they got a chance to introduce themselves. So Lauren and Kyle go through where they started and how they ended up with the Access Funds conservation team. And they're, they're so proud to be a part of this. And after they got done introducing themselves, I asked them a pretty simplistic question, a question we might not often think about. I kind of, I was thinking about it some more and I kind of relate it to the question, why do we climb? You know, we get, we get asked this question and we often might get stopped in our tracks. We're like, wow, I never really thought about it. Or you can't quite just get across why you do it. And so I've been asked what stewardship means before. And sometimes I'm stopped in my tracks and can't quite come up with a really concise answer. So I get them rolling into deep into our conversation with that question, how they would define stewardship. And man, they just, they just took off and ran with it. They, they provided way more than, than I, what I thought they would. And it was, it was great. They have a really broad or really uh, wide ranging definition of what stewardship means to them. After we wrap up the stewardship part and how they define it, I wanted to get into some of the geographical differences that they see around the country. Since they are the national team, they do see a lot of the country. They're on the road a lot. And so I was just wondering if there's some nuancey differences between what they might see in a western or desert landscape versus a more uh, wetter climate somewhere maybe in the east or southeast. And Kyle provided some great info on that. But Lauren jumped into some other differences that I didn't quite think about right away, but they do make perfect sense. And just some managerial differences in how they are able to conduct stewardship. Because some managers, some land managers want things a certain way or they don't want things a certain way. And they got to work around that and how they rebuild trail and so on and so forth with different material and just different approaches. So that was, that was really good insight from Lauren there, jumping on the uh, differences that they see from uh, region to region or from land manager to land manager. Really cool stuff. And I don't think a conversation these days can be totally complete without talking about COVID. Let's let's be real. Like we're, we're still hear about it, just still hearing about it every day. So, And I knew that this was going to be a big hurdle for them to jump over in their work because they're often working with volunteers, right? Often working with volunteers around many people and just right now they can't they can't do that. And I could tell by the way that they were talking that they missed this camaraderie. I mean, they, they expressed this openly in the conversation. They missed the camaraderie they have with their volunteers and working with people. There's teachable moments they that they have often 
working with other people and they're, they're missing out on that right now, unfortunately, but they do jump into why it's so important for folks to volunteer and get involved and be a part of the community. Kyle says there's this higher calling, there's this higher calling out there that we should all be drawn to, to be more than just a climber and play your part in this larger community. And if, damn, if that wasn't philosophical, I don't know what is. Like I told him, it almost brought a tear to my eye. It was, it was powerful stuff. So we, we run through why it's so important for, for people to be drawn to this higher calling. And stewardship is, is one of the main pillars of Access Fund's mission to, quote, protect America's climbing. And a major part of that stewardship program are the conservation teams. They're the boots on the ground. They're the folks that are often guest facing, particularly the national team, as we talk about the difference between what the national team does versus a regional team. The national team is often at large events such as climbing festivals or hosting tables at, at gyms, so on and so forth. So they're, they're often face to face with the climbers themselves when there's a lot of other great work the Access Fund does just not like right there in your face with the climbers. It's, you know, kind of, I don't want to say behind closed doors, but in the, you know, in the office, uh, meetings, phone calls, you know, so, so on. Uh, the stewardship team or the conservation teams are in a unique position to promote this mission of protecting America's climbing. And not only that, when you're walking up a nice trail at your crag or when you're visiting somewhere, walking up a nice trail with uh, nice organic material or, or wood or any other kind of material that they've used to rebuild a trail or a staging area, a parking lot, you can thank these folks, the conservation teams, these guys, these guys and gals crush it. They're out there getting awesome work done. So they really love to see notes written on the dirt, in the dirt on their cars. <laughs> you can imagine the cars get really dirty. So if you're out there and see an access fund Jeep, it's wrapped in all kinds of access fund images and words, and it's very obvious it's an access fund vehicle. Why don't you leave them a little note in the dirt on their windows or their windshield showing your appreciation? I guarantee they'll love it. So without any further ado, let me step aside and introduce you all to Lauren and Kyle of Access Fund's National Conservation Team. Enjoy. Well, that sounds great. So you drove all the way to, down to Boulder from Estes this evening or this afternoon? We did. We yeah. ran from work down the hill. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's quite a hill to drive down. <laughs> yeah. The dust uh, flying off our backs, yeah. <laughs> right on. So how was your day out in the field today? Good. Um, we're kind of at the cruxiest section of the trail we're working on. Um, so a lot of giant rocks and slow, slow going progress, but definitely one of the, the spots that needs the most help. So it definitely feels very, um, very worthwhile to be working there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Awesome. Where, where are you currently working? We're working on the, the Thumb Rock area. Thumb the Rock. Okay. city of Estes is purchasing the, a couple lots of land because it's been historically on private land. And they're purchasing the land that Thumb Rock is on with the help of the Access Fund, um, who kind of, they got involved in the, the grant program. Yeah, we're, we're working on the trail up to that to, to give access to it. And um, interestingly enough, it's really cool. We're, we're working with the Rocky Mountain Conservancy, who in turn is working with uh, Quinn Brett, who is really, you know, advocating right now for accessible trails so we've been doing a lot of work on this trail to try to make it accessible which is kind of an interesting challenge as far as rather than just putting in a you know a staircase which would be the easy solution it's like well how do we actually make this so like a, a bike can get up it and it's kind of like a down and dirty access work because we're not we're not trying to make it like a, a paved road for for wheelchairs, but we're trying to make it so that the adaptive use bicycles um, that are electric have enough space and enough grade to make it up. And so it's just kind of a, a whole different puzzle piece to deal with when thinking about um, adaptive access compared to just normal foot access. Is that something you've ever dealt with before? 
No. <laughs> Never. First time. Um, yeah. And really, like, it's it's crazy because, I mean, you can forgive, like, some, you know, sometimes uh, the steps you're building or, or whatever you're working on isn't just going to be perfect. And so you can kind of write it off as like, eh, like, someone can step on this, you know, like, someone will be able to step over this problem. It's tall. And yeah, and, and you just, you, you cannot give yourself that same amount of leeway when thinking about adaptive access, because mm-hmm. it just, like, if it stops the the bike, it stops the person, period, and they're, they're not going to be able to go. And so you really have to be a lot more like, on top of all those little, maybe those things you would have allowed yourself to get away with, you just can't get away with anymore. Wow, that's 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 really cool. Good on you guys for uh, for, for taking this project on. It sounds like a, a lot of extra uh, extra work, but not, I'm not saying that in a negative way. I'm sure you're very uh, willing to do something like this. Yeah, absolutely, totally. Yeah. It's it's way cool for that's sure. That's awesome. It's, we're kind of just flying by night, just <laughs> yeah. like oh, I don't know, like if we put in a, a ramp made out of rocks, will that yeah. work? Like, I don't know. Like, I'll try you it. know, so there's going to be a lot of interesting features on this trail that uh, hopefully if nothing else, you can kind of just take away from and, and say, okay, that's a really cool way to do it. Or maybe not this yeah. way. Cause yeah, there, there's no manual. I mean, you know, there's tons of forest service manuals and stuff for trail work, but nothing about adaptive access. So um, really? it's kind of like trying to put together a trail so that someone can either, succeed or fail on it and then move on and make the next trail better and the next trail better right and you can't yeah like you said you can't just like oh, okay this is good enough someone could manage this step i mean so there's no we're kind of getting into the weeds here but i'm really interested in this uh there's no guidelines in the, on like a forest service manual or handbook but do you, are you following some certain guidelines with the american disabilities act or is there something like specific specifics in there that you have to follow it's it's tough because like the the ADA, I mean there are plenty of ADA accessible um, trails. Like you think of uh, Devil's Tower in Wyoming, that's an ADA trail that goes around the the tower. Um, but that's all like typically that kind of thing is paved. The grade has to be super low. It's right. essentially like the the ADA guidelines are build a sidewalk, which is great that those exist in in some places. But for these, it's trying to kind of um, it's accepting that these people are going to have some kind of bicycle or uh, assistance and then fitting it to that. Uh, and that's I, as far as I understand it, um, I believe that uh, Quinn is working to create this manual because mm. it's um, there's not really anything for her particular like style and just having used trails, especially in the Rocky area, uh, just what she can do. And so kind of how she has described it is ski trips, like ski runs, you know, if it's green, she could do it all by herself. If it's blue, maybe she might need a friend to help her, like, you know, bump her tire up on a, a spot or, you know, just like a little bit of assistance here and there and like so on and so forth until, you know, it's it's impossible. And so we're, we're shooting for more maybe like of a blue because it is headed to a climbing area. She will have folks and, that, and that's kind of i think the idea of this area so it's not super super strict um it's more based upon her own experience and like she sent us a whole sheet of you know heights that she can do a couple like she can maybe do a couple steps and like how big pads have to be if we're doing kind of like check steps that have um larger pads in between well and that's a that's a great example too of like um you know, if we if we build a step, I, ideally the the front face of that step is vertical um, or laid over a little bit. But if it's overhanging, um, it's not ideal, but it's certainly not the end of the world for a hiker if the front of the step overhangs a little bit. Um, but trying to get that front wheel to to mm-hmm. hit and then and then climb up that step and get over from the, the just the power of the back tire. Um, that overhanging front step, even if just a few degrees points can, can be really tough, uh, for the bikes to get over. And so yeah, learning what, what those angles that they can climb are, and then like sending photos to, to, to Quinn and figuring out, you know, like apparently like six to eight inches is kind of, you know, is, 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 is acceptable, but closer to the six inch mark, like once you start getting higher, you, you definitely start running into some problems. And mm-hmm. so learning those little 
ins and outs mm-hmm. has been a has been a process for sure. Yeah, and we've been we've been here for three weeks, or this is our third week here, so it's been kind of a, a cool process. To I don't know, I, I feel like we kind of are starting to really figure it out and like kind of come up with a process that makes sense and, mm-hmm. and all that. Yeah, what a great learning opportunity, huh? It's for been sure. awesome. Yeah, That's I know cool. Rocky Mountain is like really trying to kind of pioneer. Uh, this kind of more accessible park. Mm-hmm. Well, and they they just got a grant to purchase like I forget how many bikes. Um, a bunch of those accessible. Yeah, the the bikes. electric um, adapted access bikes, which um, you you will apparently be able to rent or use for little to no cost um, mm-hmm. if you need it. So um, it's definitely kind of a new movement in the outdoor field, which is really cool. Oh, yeah. for sure. Yeah, yeah. I work in stewardship as well. So I, I deal with uh, this whole like e-bike issue and mm-hmm. um, I don't want to say issue, but just like, you know, this, this introduction to e-bikes on a lot more trails and our organization wants to be inclusive and not keep anyone out. But it, it comes with it comes with certain certain things you need to consider. And we're kind of getting off like the ADA track now. But um, yeah, it's, it's just it's, this notion of inclusivity and trying to get everyone uh, access to the trails and outdoors that they want to access is is huge. For yeah, sure. It's super cool. It's totally part of like the Access Fund's whole thing with like the Jedi. Exactly. Stuff. And it, yep. yeah, it's really cool to be a part of. Absolutely. Amazing. Well, good on you guys. I got a couple th- things to add to this. We've, we've really dove right in. This is amazing. Uh, <laughs> so with this like, like kind of color scale that you mentioned, uh, depending on what color it might be, like a ski run kind of thing, uh, is it'll indicate certain things on the trail. Is that something that'll be put like on a sign or something at the, at the, at the trailhead? So if someone rolls up and sees this, they're like, oh, okay, this is a blue trail heading up to the crag. Is, is there some talk of that? I don't know. I don't you know? know how they're trying to disseminate that information. Um, yeah, I know this is all very, very new. And so I think there's probably still a lot of like brainstorming going on as far as how this is all going to be implemented. And uh, yeah, I mean, I think that's an awesome idea. But yeah, I'm not sure. Well, and uh, it might be the kind of information that is best disseminated amongst like, or through uh an online form like in the, in the same way like you're never going to show up at a, a rock climbing approach and know that it gains a thousand feet in the first tenth of a mile you know what i mean true. Um, very true but someone's probably mentioned that on mountain project and um so making sure that this is information that is put through all the main um whether it's uh it's hiking project still a thing i think so i think yeah. all the projects are still all the projects still around um yeah. but uh Making sure that it doesn't have to be some niche thing where you have to find the one forum on the internet that talks about adaptive use. Like, mm. if if this could be widespread information on the the general the the very generalized platforms, it'd be a lot easier for individuals to like be able to digest it and figure out what's going to be doable for them that day. Mm. Yeah, I know. Like the mountain shop in Estes is going to be housing the bikes. Oh and yeah, that's so right. So I imagine like. When people check them out, they'll probably have a good amount of information to give folks who who are checking out bikes to use in the park. Right, right on, awesome. Well, yeah, it's 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 amazing. This whole recreation management thing is a it's an amazing thing. I seen what's gone into developing a campground and yeah, making things ADA accessible and, and the grade going into down to the picnic table or up to the bathroom or to the like where you park your car like. There's a lot that goes into it, so and I don't you know you don't see that when you just go to the camping area, you know the campsite or the campground. You, it's there's so much back end planning and making that making sure that everything is up to snuff to include everyone is, is it's truly remarkable. I think that's kind of the interesting thing about like um, working in the outdoors and doing something so physical in the outdoors is that like it's all of your work, no matter how hard it was, is almost always invisible. You know, like people think that steps got there because someone walked there enough times or the same thing with a trail. Like, I mean, we were, we had the other day, some hikers came by and, you know, were thanking us for what we were doing. And they're like, you know, we, we never realized that trail work was done by hand. And it's like, (laughs) of course it is, you know? Um, but it, but it is kind of this like somewhat unintuitive thing to, to know, uh, to know how much work and then like that, just like you talk about like those little decisions of what's the grade so that you can go to the the picnic table. Like someone had to decide every little thing 
And I think that that's that gets overlooked a lot when when people see a, a finished campground or a finished trail. Well, I think it's very new to like think like, hey, you know, these we want to include more people in the outdoors. And uh, so I think, yeah, I think there's going to be a lot of new ideas coming out, a lot of new maintenance that's going to be need to be t- mm-hmm. done, um, which, hey, like the the Great American Outdoors Act just passed. Yeah. So that's Woo-hoo! super yeah, exciting. Yeah. Maybe <laughs> some of that money can be applied for making the outdoors a little more accessible. But uh, yeah, super stoked. All right. Well, yeah, that was a, that was an amazing introduction. But <laughs> why don't we put why don't we put a pin in that for a second? Why don't you guys introduce yourself, Lauren? Why don't you kick us off? Where Where are you from? Uh, what's a little bit of your climbing history? And how did you? What's your background in stewardship? How did you end up on the national conservation team? Yeah. Um. So my name is Lauren Poglotic, and I grew up in San Diego, California but didn't start climbing until I moved up to Northern California for college. And then, yeah, just kind of started climbing off and on uh, for a long time. Moved out to Texas, which is where I met Kyle. And uh, we were both working at REI and really, really wanted to get out of retail and um, applied and really wanted to get to Idaho. We like, I don't know, we looked up a bunch of stuff online and, and just, we're just super inspired by Idaho and we ended up applying for the Idaho Conservation Corps and um, ended up doing it for, for two years and absolutely just loved it. And uh, a friend that we met through the program recommended the access fund to, to us. and was like, man, you guys would just be perfect. Like you do conservation, you climb, like, have you like heard of this? And we just kind of kept our eyes out and uh, applied and man just after a couple nerve-wracking months of just hoping it it came through awesome right on how about you kyle my name is kyle lysing i'm originally from san antonio texas uh, which is where i started climbing believe it or not and (laughs) um learned how to climb at enchanted rock and cut my teeth out there and then uh started traveling specifically to go climb various places and felt like I very quickly out, outgrew what Texas had to offer um, as far as climbing goes. Yeah, then left Texas a few years ago to go work in Idaho for the Idaho Conservation Corps and worked there for a couple of seasons with Lauren. And the Access Fund was like kind of on our radar, but had no idea about the conservation teams and stuff like that. And once we discovered it and looked into it it was just looked looked like too perfect of a situation for us so awesome well i'm, I'm super psyched to have you guys on the show today and, and grateful for all the work that you do uh, stewardship is one of the main pillars of access funds work we have covered a number of topics on the show like just local specific issues law and policy general public land advocacy but i think let's see i dove into stewardship way back in i believe episode 3 when i had ty tyler the stewardship director for access fund on which was like uh, like a year and a half ago now so it's been, it's been a little while so i'm so excited to dive back into stewardship again and i want to start off with a question that sounds kind of simple but i think people don't always really know what stewardship actually means. Like I, like I mentioned earlier, I work in stewardship myself with a land trust and people often ask me like, so what do you do? What does stewardship mean? And I'm like, huh, you know, I, I know what I do at work, but explaining what the word stewardship means kind of escapes me sometimes. How would you two define stewardship? Um, yeah, you know, it was funny. I saw that you wanted to ask that question. And so I looked it up because I was like, I actually don't know the definition of stewardship <laughs> other than like what I do. And um, stewardship is to just like manage or take care of something, which feels really simple and just like really, really um, tiny in comparison to what, what we do. But I think the more I was thinking about it, I think that stewardship is not just the cliche of like leaving a place better than you found it, but like literally leaving a place better than you found it, you know, like <laughs> putting in these rock steps in order to make this trail, not a road or solidifying a 
a belay platform or a bouldering platform so you're not totally like destroying all the soil around it it's it's being an active participant in the outdoor world that you're using yeah just creating a better place for you and for everyone who comes after you you know i i think stewardship is kind of this like unselfish act in some ways and in some ways like the most selfish act because if you take care of it like you get to keep it and that's what we all want right like we just want the access to these areas yeah like it's for for me it's all about protection and when when it comes to us that that's us putting in staircases and rock work that'll be there for 50 plus years you know um i think when when we come and use these places or like the average person uses these outdoor spaces you see it as this natural landscape and then you leave it behind and you walk away from it and it's hard i think not everybody realizes that place is going to continue to erode and continue to like get chewed up by other hikers and stuff even if you're not there and because it's out of sight it's out of mind so us taking the stewardship role of putting hands on like you know hands in the dirt to protect these areas and make them more sustainable is is a huge thing and then stewardship of course runs the gambit all the way up to um protecting bears ears uh the bears ears monument or um any number of the constant calls to action that you see the access fund Mm -hmm. putting out for various crags sometimes super small and dinky somewhere some crag that that is under risk and the the national power of the access fund is waking up because somewhere somewhere or somewhere rock climbing is at risk you know um and trying to protect it in every way whether that's legally or physically yeah and i don't i don't want it to sound like you know you have to be on a conservation team or a politician or like whatever in order to engage in stewardship you know i think that everyone can you know whether that's like volunteering at an adopt a crag or you know donating money to the access fund or or even like, just like picking up your own trash and like maybe not hanging your hammock on all the trees and you know like when even like the the small things like 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 Lauren says picking up trash or staying on trail mm-hmm. you know like recognizing that when you go out and you're using a trail a trail is really a necessary evil a trail is only there so there's not a hundred trails ideally there'd be zero but that's impossible, right? If, if you're in a popular area, there's going to be either one trail or a thousand trails. And if you make the one trail really good, there should only be the one. Um, and it, it never ceases to amaze me how like, like, dude, right, right out, like headed towards Lumpy Ridge in Estes Park, a th- ginormous 30 step rock staircase. I mean, every rock has to be a couple hundred pounds, massive staircase. And there's like a worn in trail right next to it and like just getting eroded and terrible because no one uses the stairs everyone walks next to it because it's a lower grade and so it's just like chewing up this area that some teams at some point put in like you know weeks of work and so sometimes stewardship is just like making the right choice to stay on trail or to to use this structure that's being that's being built and provided yeah uh, I really love what you said, Lauren, about leaving it better for other people. You know, we hear this saying a lot, uh, protecting things f- for future generations. You know, you hear it all the time. And it's, I think you could just say that without even thinking about it. What does that actually mean? And the right. work you're doing is what it means. It's it's improving yeah, what we have now for the people that come after us because we will not be the last climbers that visit this place. And uh, that I think, I think you really drove that point home there really well and put some color to that saying of protecting for future generations. So since you both are on the national team, you get to travel across the nation, west to east, east to west, north to south. Uh, And I'm curious about the different resource issues that you see at different crags. Do you see a geographical difference or certain issues that are unique or common between areas, say, in like a desert environment, maybe out west versus a wetter climate? Uh, yeah. So, I mean, just like the the dry to wet climate issue, I mean, we spent like two months in Indian Creek and 
every I mean everything grows so slow. Everything out there grows on the scale of decades upon decades. Um, and so everything you do has an impact and is going to be a visible impact forever. You know the the path that you rolled that rock across, that divot like through through that area might be there for the next ten years. And so you, you're definitely working a lot to to source and and work in a very light handed method, but working in like and then we had another project in the Grand Tetons, uh, or I mean the Teton Valley out near like Victor and Driggs in Idaho. And there the issue is like vegetation's everywhere. Like every trail that you cut is not that that, that trail might not even be there next year because it's just gonna grow over again immediately. And so figuring out like how these these trails that you cut, if you're able to get it to to stay there and maybe you denature the soil or something like that. Um, but now that's the only runway for water period because everything else is so lush and grown in with roots that this one trail now is like hyper exposed to to moisture erosion and so yeah just figuring out there's no there's no one band-aid for any trail Mm. you you kind of figure where exactly are you at what's the issues what's the topography of the area you're at like are you in the middle of some like valley and so water's always going to be on your trail maybe the trail should have never been put there you know it should have been put um on on more sustainable ground mm-hmm. so it, it definitely changes and, and becomes challenging yeah there's definitely different types of erosion for sure um what i was going to say is like i think one of the bigger differences i've noticed is more having to do often with who like the land manager is if you're in a capital w wilderness area or if you're in a reserve or just a city park, you know, it's really totally dependent on who's managing that area and like how much they want that area disturbed, you know, like in the city of rocks in Idaho, they won't let you source any rock material, you know, because there's a lot of archeological um, things there, you know, a lot of archeological rocks. And so they really don't want you sourcing any rock material where, as when we were in Mazam or, or I guess in Indian Creek, we could just like roll a piece of sandstone down the hillside and like all of the rock in the world we needed was right there. Um, so I think sourcing material too, like when we were in Mazama, Washington, they had to quarry rock to bring in because there wasn't really any available at the base of the crag. And so I think that is probably the most different thing you're going to see area by area and that's i mean it could all be within the same state and you might come across different issues based on who your land manager is that you're working with there right that makes perfect sense so back to that city of rocks example in idaho you can't source rock material from there so are you are you having to bring in other uh i guess artificial infrastructure or or wood to to make up for that yeah and there um the it's, it's a challenge because they do all like treated wooden logs and right, then they, right. they rebar them straight into the ground. And it's not the, the worst structure you can build. Um, but you see those structures falling apart all over the park, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, um, they kind of take a more band-aided approach of we'll build this staircase. And when one of the rocks or one of the logs rots out, we'll, we'll put in a new log and yeah. we'll just kind of build it that way. And then other places want to build, you know, one staircase that's going to be there forever and they never want to have to maintain it again. And so it's just different approaches mm-hmm. um, to, to solving the same problems. Right. Right. They're all, I guess, effective in the end. It's just a matter of like the timeline. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. And like, like to speak of the city of rocks is just a great example of um, patchwork complication. Um, but they are a national reserve that is, owned by the national park system but it's uh, but it's operated by the state parks system and so you can imagine there's probably a, a ton of issues that come between that like disconnect between federal and state mm-hmm. and that that's kind of been an experience that that we've come across almost every climbing location is just a, a crazy patchwork of ownership and management and who's who's running what project who owns this parcel and who owns that parcel mm-hmm. And so it's always a challenge to get everybody on board to to do work. And so that's always changing uh, place to place. Yeah, it's been really interesting to learn about. It's not something we are specifically involved with 
as like the conservation team were really just grunts but it's been so great to like learn about all this all that really goes into it it's so much it's not just Mm -hmm. like hey can we put a trail here cool you know it's like it's a lot um that goes into it and um and 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 it's important you know like we need to protect these areas and that means we have to get you know some evaluation done before we can do something or you know whatever sometimes it just takes an extra step or two Mm -hmm. there's so much coordinating planning fundraising (laughs) uh just uh, designing uh it's there's so much going on and you know what let's just leave that to tie yeah that sounds good that sounds like a great plan all right. So if you guys haven't been burnt out with COVID questions or navigating this, I'm sorry, but I'm going to ask you some questions about that. <laughs> no um, so my understanding is that COVID has affected the conservation teams in different ways. Uh, you were all kind of uh, hunkered down and just, I guess, just stuck in Indian Creek, which of course I personally would not complain about. Well, uh, I didn't really feel like stuck. Yeah. <laughs> stuck is a strong word. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah ro- sorry wrong choice of words but uh, you were you were in Indian Creek for you know just having to be there because of everything that's going on being in a gateway community you know Moab and, mm-hmm. and all the complications that go on with that mm-hmm. um, while the East team for example is were just kind of working away down in Alabama at the time so you guys were hunkered down there while the East was just cranking away what's What's your team's experience been navigating with this hurdle with your work and coordinating with volunteers? Yeah, um, I think that, um, yeah, I'm, well, so to the, to the first point, we were in the creek for two months and we were actually with the West team, which was awesome because, you know, we had two other people we could hang out with. It wasn't just us, <laughs> um, which like wouldn't seem like a big deal, but when you're quarantining in um indian creek it was awesome to have them there to work with and hang out with all that and uh you know it was it was this like really beautifully torturous experience in a lot of ways just because (laughs) we're like surrounded by some of the world-class climbing out there you know and um for about a month or so we were not climbing because yeah, we were in these gateway communities where, you know, they just don't have the resources. If one of us got hurt, it would just really tax them if they ended up having an outbreak. So yeah, we just, we weren't climbing and it was just like being in the candy shop and not being able to have any candy. Um, (laughs) It's a great, great analogy. Yeah, it was, it was rough but you know in in a lot of ways it was also like super great because we just got to explore all these trails and there's just so 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 much just so much history out there that you can just go walk right up to and it's probably something we wouldn't have done otherwise because we would have been climbing yeah if we could have climbed (laughs) we just would have and uh but i mean just going out hiking and trying to find how like as many boulders as you can with petroglyphs on the back of them. I mean, mm-hmm. it just feels like every other boulder has some handprint or, or deer or something carved into it. Mm-hmm. And um, just taking the time to take an afternoon to hike around and, and just look for that kind of stuff when normally you would just be trudging straight up to the way Rambo wall or something <laughs> like that. Um, yeah. But, uh we were working the whole time. Uh, we were in Donnelly Canyon and we four were four. on four by four wall. Nice. Um, so yeah, we were just throwing rocks at a whole time, which was great. Cause we didn't get the, you know, the, the quarantine 15 or whatever they're calling it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, yeah. We were working the entire time we were down there. Um, did you have and volunteers I, with you? No, no. Just the two so of you. It, yeah. yeah. Well, it was the it was the two of us, and then and then the, the West two teams. from the yeah. West team. Yeah. yeah. Um, and like right at the get go, because it was right when um work week. work week in the creek was supposed to be happening, and they kind of thought that it was going to still happen. Um, and then uh, the Rocky Mountain Field Institute had a crew down there that was working, and so we worked with them for a little bit right at the beginning. Mm-hmm. And then when everything started shutting down, and then they canceled work week in the creek, um, and then uh, Rocky Mountain Field Institute left, and then it was just the four of us. Um, yeah. So 
yeah, that's kind of been the weirdest thing is is not being able to have volunteers and not having that raw just manpower on site because you know putting in steps is one thing and then having to source all of your own rocks every time you want to put in a step um is all part of the process but it's a lot slower when you don't have you know 10 people just feeding you giant boulders all day long right um yeah and it's a a huge part of the social dynamic of it as well Mm -hmm. getting to work with those people and um kind of show off the the benefits of stewarding an area you know and right. what it what it feels like to put your hands on and protect something and so not getting not being able to work with those people has been kind of weird yeah because yeah. like we're really you know the hands on the ground the faces of the access fund in a lot of ways you know there's so many awesome people who are involved in the access fund but like we're the faces that most average climbers are going to see you know because mm-hmm. we're out there at the crag doing the work um and so it's kind of a shame that like yeah we haven't been able to make those same kind of connections and get people really excited and um and that's like for us as the national team like working with volunteers is one of our main kind of purposes we typically would do a lot of adopted crag events and just be in a lot of locations um maybe a new location every week at certain stints in the year that that's definitely been a a, a big change with uh, the virus is that yeah we, we just haven't had that opportunity to have these volunteer events and and make those connections and um and kind of teach what a sustainable trail might look like because like we may go to a, a small area once and the goal is that like hopefully when we're working with the local climbing organization there um we can kind of get them started and amped and and kind of continue with the work and and teach them how to do it um so so yeah and like hopefully hopefully as the year continues we'll be able to kind of get back to that we did have our first volunteer event since the virus back in uh, Teton Canyon about three weeks ago um and that was super great really really small groups access funds taking a lot of precautions when we are being when, when we are working with volunteers, everyone's wearing masks and has to bring their own gloves. And, um, and then, yeah, no, no more than eight, including us. Yeah. So eight, including you two, so six. And usually what's, what's like, what, what's like an average group? It could be from anywhere from like two people all the way up to like, they've had 30 people before. Yeah. It, it really, it really depends on the, the time and the stoke level. And yeah, um, cause yeah, like apparently out in, Mazama a couple years ago they had like 30 something people show up and they built these giant like two huge retaining walls in two days yeah um because they just had so much manpower and so yeah i mean some of these some of these events can be pretty large yeah. um and i just i think they're so important because like like when we were in Mazama working chipping away like there'd people people would walk by who were a part of that event and be like hey look i put that rock in yeah like literally down to the rock they yeah. knew which one they had placed and it just like it um, gives which, you which is ownership super cool. of an area you know it just it makes you feel like you're a part of you know you might be not be like setting routes but hey like maybe you set a rock in the trail and you you made those routes accessible that's something to be incredibly proud of. And that's another benefit of stewardship is just a, this tangibility element of what you get accomplished. It's, it's, it's there and it's undeniable yeah. and be able to pick it's out like the rock. Mine. Yeah. Then, then you feel a little more pride. And then when your buddy, like maybe throws his apple core, you're like, Hey, yeah, you wouldn't do that in my house. Yeah. yeah. Come on. You man. Know? Like- <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I love what you said a little bit ago about kind of being, guest facing you're the boots on the ground that you're you're the face of access fund while Mm. you're while you're out there while people are recreating and climbing and i think there's a lot of there's lessons that can be learned there first when you're working with a group of volunteers right now you're missing out on that camaraderie and i think that's that's very demoralizing but uh it it can be tough you're, you're missing that i could tell that you're missing that from your work when you don't have other people around and right i think it's another teaching moment when when you folks are out there and you got your, the car, I think you got you drive Jeeps, right? Um, yeah. Like wrapped in access fund stuff, you know, <laughs> all around the car. So, I mean, access fund is sprayed all over the car. When I was in Indian Creek last fall, 
I drove out with some friends and a couple of people that I actually did not know were, were in the car with us. And this girl was like, oh, like access fun car. And it's got the tagline on on the doors, protect America's climbing. Mm-hmm. And that's because you know, she saw this because the conservation team was in the creek when we were there. Mm-hmm. And she asked out loud, she's like, how do you actually protect America's climbing? I was like, oh man, you, you got a minute? Like, <laughs> let, me, let me tell you a Buckle few things. Up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Hold on to your hat here. <laughs> so it's just that, that, that story of, of the camaraderie and being uh, guest facing, so to speak, reminded me of that. And I was able to tell this, uh, this girl like what that car was, what the conservation team was, what the, the policy team is, what Access Fund is in general. And she mm-hmm. walked away just like, whoa. Yeah, that's incredible. Like, yeah, it was it was really cool. Really neat opportunity to uh, to talk about that a little bit. Yeah, we were when we were in the city of rocks, our Jeep was just like covered in dust and covered and just like all of the loving messages people could write in it. You yeah, know, like on our back window was, you know, access fund rocks. Good job. We yeah. love you guys. Like, mm-hmm. um, which was which was cool because um, yeah. you don't get that at every location. It's kind of interesting, you know. When, when you get that and when you don't, but mm-hmm. you know, the, the people that know, know. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. You're not quite as invisible as you said earlier, right? right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's been hard because like we have had a lot of people pretty much in every location we've been in who wanted to volunteer. And mm-hmm. it's like, it's been so hard to be like, I so want you to volunteer with us and I just can't let you right now. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's a bummer. Well, I think it's a great segue segue into my next uh next point here next some next questions uh is this notion of transactional versus participatory relationship with the outdoors and on the last episode uh my guests and i talked a bit about this and what it means to have a transactional relationship with the outdoors versus a more participatory relationship where you aren't just taking from the land but you're also giving something back and my guest on the last episode was an avid hunter and in hunting, you are literally taking something from the land. You're removing an animal from the land. And in climbing, you're not necessarily taking or removing something from the land, so to speak. But we're certainly using that, these natural resources for our enjoyment and benefit. So going off that last point you just made, Lauren, like why is it so important for climbers to volunteer on stewardship projects? Like I, I think that if... I mean, because because climbing is this amazing thing, and being in the outdoors and getting to access all these places is an amazing thing, and it's partially because of the fact that you are separating from society writ large, and you're you're going off for this independent experience, and and you know seemingly to find something about yourself or, or to to get away from something else or, or or whatever the reasons might be, and I think if you're not being an if you're not active in and and present in what you're doing then it might as well just be anything else you know if if all you're doing is buying gear for your for your instagram photo um (laughs) what's what's the point of it right if it if it's really just a another extension of a materialistic pursuit and you're just using this area for for your own you know nefarious purposes (laughs) um then then what's then what's the point of all this you know um you, you might as well have just gone to the golf course or something like <laughs> uh like if you're going out into nature to experience nature and be present and and to to be communing with this incredible earth that we have then then you should also have this this drive to give back to it and this drive to protect it and make it better and and make it able to withstand the the foot treading that you are putting on it and I think that if you if you ignore your your own call to to take part in these places and be an active part in it, and and that active part is 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 supposed to be improving this this place. And if you're not going to take an active part in it, you could have just taken an inactive part in doing anything. So what's what's the point of being outside? What's the point of going to wilderness or um, a national forest or something like that? Um, I think that it is this higher this higher calling to go to these places and I think that there's a higher calling to to take care of them and and put put hands on them. Yeah, and and I think I would argue that like you are taking something from these areas, you know, like 
you are putting one more footstep on that trail. You know, there's, there's, you know, bouldering pads out at Waco tanks that rumor says like used to be a sit start and now you have to stand on your buddy's shoulders mm-hmm. in order to start the problem because it's so eroded away, you know? And like, so realistically, like one, you are kind of taking something, but also, yeah, you're taking an experience from that place. And like, you are taking away something and like, we are so lucky in so many ways as climbers that like a ton of the areas that we love to climb in are totally free to us. All the entrance fee is, is like gear or a friend with gear, you know? And so we are so lucky that, that we don't have to pay for a lot of things that we do. The way that you can give back is by, getting involved whatever that looks like for you you know like we're climbers we don't all have like tons of money so maybe donating isn't your answer but like maybe yeah showing up for a volunteer event is you have time you know so like i think that everyone can get involved in some way and like remember that you're getting something out of this and often you're getting it for no cost at all you know we've talked about that a few other times on the show about how we got it kind of lucky we uh with entrance fees or taxes or you know with hunting and fishing out of our licenses to to participate but i i am very much in support of that because it goes towards conservation right yeah just a shameless plug for the last episode with mark kenyon we talked about that a lot (laughs) Uh, um so yeah i mean we we could go off on a tangent there but kyle i mean you you darn near brought a a tear to my eye about talking about like this higher calling (laughs) it's very spiritual (laughs) pulled in my heartstrings there that was awesome (laughs) so all right right on thanks so much for that uh so you guys yeah like we said uh everyone knows that you're the national team we got the west team we got the east team how how did you to operate as the national team versus a regional team like the East or the West? Yeah, the the regional teams are kind of like the really badass trail builders. They they kind of get the the long-term projects, you know, so they, they'll usually be in a place for a month, maybe two. Um, like I know our West team has like Lover's Leap coming up and they'll be there for, for two months, you know? Um, and so they get involved in these like really long-term, really, really big projects. Whereas uh, Kyle and I are moving around a lot more and we're, we're doing a lot more volunteer events in a lot more areas, you know, access fund always says like no crag too big or too small. And, and so we kind of will often hit those, smaller crags, you know, places like that and try to get people amped and and teach them how to do some basic trail work. And um, in in normal non-COVID times, we would also be doing a lot more like tabling at gyms to kind of rally support for Access Fund and going to climbing festivals and and really being that face and and, um, trying to you know, touch as many lives as we can and and get the message out. (laughs) And like how how Lauren put it kind of earlier, um, we're working with with local climbing organizations predominantly. And Lauren and I might show up and have a couple days of a project there, give them some really good like nitty gritty uh, bits on retaining walls and stairs. And these are like the standards that we want to go by and they'll continue to work. And then maybe in the future, that location has way bigger problems and they'll get one of the regional teams for a long term month or two months to really like sure up sure up some things but we kind of make the the huge circuit round of america trying to just touch on as many locations as we can um and then because like yeah we, we can't go to every lo- like we can't do a two-month project at every major location every single year and so trying to like just m- maintain the upkeep is is kind of what we're on gotcha so a little little bit more of a, a macro approach versus a micro i mean you're still out there like you said you're you're building trail today yeah we kind of get lucky because we get to do like a little bit of everything you wow. know like we get to do a lot of really cool trail work and especially this year <laughs> um but yeah we also get to you know interact with a lot of really yeah, cool we get people. to go to the climbing festival in lander and we go to outdoor retailer and nice yeah. you know we go to all these super cool events also. So to wrap things up here a little bit, we talked about why it is, it's important for volunteers to get involved with stewardship projects because that higher calling, right? 
why is the work of these conservation teams so imperative to access funds mission of protecting America's climbing? Um, I think that, you know, kind of just to touch back on a lot of what we've already said, you know, part of it is just showing that we're out there, you know, we're doing the work, you know, we're not just performance based as far as like, Hey, we want to protect it. You know, um, you know, we, we're out on the ground, we're protecting these areas, we're talking to climbers everywhere and, and trying to educate them on what the mission is and how they can do it. And, and so I think it's just super important because not only are we actually getting work realistically done and like realistically protecting these areas, um, but we're just spreading the the message, which is also super important. Yeah, because we all just want to keep access to the areas. We all just want to keep climbing. You know, that's Kyle and I joke all the time, like climbing is just the most important thing in the world, you know? <laughs> So yeah, and like, unless we take care of these areas, like we could totally realistically lose them, you know? When I think like uh, that that line of protect America's climbing, I think there's a lot of even like climbers, I think there's a lot of climbers who would see that and think, does climbing even need to be protected? Like, what mm-hmm. do you mean? Like I go all the time, like I go whenever I want. Um, I think it's easy to take for granted the, the access we have to these places and how hard fought that access has been. And yeah, maintaining these, maintaining these areas and making them sustainable is a good way to give climbers a good rap so that we can maintain access to these places. Yeah. We're just super lucky that we have this organization that's fighting for us, you know, like all the way from us on the ground, like all the way up to DC, you know, there's not, not every sport and activity gets to enjoy that. And they don't, you know, I think of like you know, base jumpers or, you know, slackliners or whatever, like who's fighting for those guys, you yeah. know? And like, how do they keep access, you know? And, well, and I, so I we're think just of those, lucky. I think of those disciplines and like, you know, you, you hear about some injury, um, some dude is injured base jumping or, or something or uh, put up a new high line somewhere. And then land managers think like, oh, well, do we want high lines being set up? And then all of a sudden this discipline is like outlawed from like like that happened at the city of rocks they don't allow any like highlining there because they, they, they wanted to do more research on how the the bolting is done for for high lines and like no no one is stepping up to to defend that discipline you know especially not a national nonprofit organization so i think it, yeah it's a super super important thing yeah totally and i, I i've thought about this in, in the recent past about just the concept the notion of Climbers in suits and ties standing on Capitol Hill <laughs> advocating for the yeah. sport. It's just, it was just, it was like, holy shit, I can't believe this. Yeah, uh, that's I a mean, real thing. Yeah, like going from where we've come from, like uh, through all these different ages of climbing through like the Gilded Age and in, in Yosemite in the 50s and 60s, through like the Stone Monkeys and the Stone Masters and all that stuff. Now I feel like we're like in like this new era of rock climbing that's, that's stewardship and, and inclusivity and, and av- in advocacy it's like right it's it, it wasn't going on like back then and now it's it's so huge i mean there's more climbers of course we're making more of an impact but we're also making our voices a lot bigger and a lot louder with with these power and numbers and i think like uh, to think back um to like the 50s and 60s it was such like uh, climbing especially was such a, a checkout from society and um it was such a rejection of that and then now i think climbers are 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 definitely far more politically awake than they mm. than they might have been in the past and like it, it just bleeds into the, that desire to protect this place or um to protect this place or that place and realizing that it's it's up to you like climbing is this still like even though you know it's bigger than it's ever been this small discipline that like you could get steamrolled and, and lose access period and so like realizing that it's, it's up to you and your community to protect it or else nothing. All right. I hope you all enjoyed part one here of our two-parter with Access Funds conservation teams. And a big thanks out to uh, Lauren and Kyle for making the drive all the way from Estes Park 
down that hill, down that very long hill to Boulder to, to make this happen. I really appreciate it. And I also really appreciate you both putting your blood, sweat, and love into our climbing areas. It does not go unnoticed. It's, uh, it might be invisible to the lay person like Kyle mentioned, but it's I don't think it's invisible to a lot of us. So we, we love you guys. And when I say conserved and cared for in the intro, this is the cared for part I'm talking about here. These are the folks out there caring for our climbing areas. And we love the work you guys do, so keep it up. If, you, if any of you have a chance to join in on a volunteer day, when it's appropriate, of course, please do so. The, the conservation teams would love to have you. And I hope some of you all drink some of that stewardship Kool-Aid and be drawn to that higher calling. Okay, I'm making it sound like you're joining a cult, but I I swear you're not. I promise you're not. Just uh, help these stewardship and conservation teams out here. Uh, So stay tuned for part two with Matt and Annie from the East team next week. And so, yeah, take care for the next seven days. and I'll catch you all here in a week.